We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And Lakers got their butts kicked last night by Phoenix from start to finish, concluding a two and three five game homestand that included three double digit losses. I'm going to talk a little, little bit longer than I normally do at the beginning here, guys. After the last loss that we had, I believe, against Memphis, Darwin made a comment in post game about being kind of tired of the people that live and die with every game under the argument that this the season is marathon, right? And that there are going to be ups and downs. And this is something that you hear all the time. Can't get too high, can't get too low. And I totally agree with that. But as somebody who lives and dies with the results of every game, I just wanted to say a couple of things about that. For one, if you're listening to a nerdy Lakers podcast the day after the Lakers got their butts kicked at home again, you're probably on some degree of the spectrum of living and dying with every Laker game. And y'all are the lifeblood of the Lakers. Like the what makes the Lakers remarkable, or one of the many things that do, is how many people all over the world really care about it. And that can come out in good ways and bad ways. But the fact that people care, like, sign me up for that. I don't ever want to discourage people from living and dying with that. And so thank you if you're listening to the pod today and just for your living and dying with that. Secondly, if you listen to or read a lot of what Kobe had to say, a lot of Kobe's arguments, I always say this with him, is that he made arguments of accumulation, meaning that the extra work that he would put in in the middle of the night, and everybody knows his legendary work ethic and all that, he would argue that the time that I'm putting in that my peer is not adds up over time to the point where after a certain amount of time, I'm better than they are, even if we started out in kind of a similar place by a function of the way that of the work that he did. And I would argue that you have to live and die with the boring and the banal of every day that does it determine the final outcome? Absolutely not. But in doing that and having a passion for the boring and for the January 11th game, that adds up even from a team standpoint. And this is true, I think, just across life is the level of passion that you invest into just the boring. It really ends up paying off. And so 
finally, D, we've seen a lot of teams win this marathon, right? Like it is a little different than a marathon in that it's somewhat two races. You got to get to the playoffs and then you reset. But at any point, like miles 11 to 15, you can't win a marathon at that point, but you can lose it. And having seen so many teams, D, that have gone on to win a title, this team looks nothing like that. I feel like there's a disconnect in the sense of urgency that goes beyond just a living and dying with every game. Yay, we won. Boo, we lost. It's not that. It's There's repeated patterns, and we're coming up on the halfway point of the season in which you watch a game last like last night, and it's like, man, these guys are not like – the vibes are bad on top of everything, right? And And so the idea that it's like, oh, this is just – the ups and downs of the season does not resonate with me at all on a number of levels. And so I just wanted to say my piece on, on that point. So talk about that or the game or whatever direction you want to go in. No, I think that's very well said. And I think that you never want to discourage passion when passion turns to something overly negative. I think there are lines that are clearly drawn. Fans can cross those lines and I think do so too often. For my taste, at least. I'm not saying any of that has come up recently, but Laker fans and fans of many other franchises have crossed multiple lines. And there's certain stuff where I'm just like, come on, man. Like, it's yeah, still this just fan is short for fanatic, right? Like, and that's something that, yeah, it's not something that's always a, a reasonable position. One of the reasons why those comments rang toward hollow ears is you're not in the position and you have not necessarily built the habits up to be able to get the benefit of the doubt of being a team that is suddenly going to turn it around. A lot of people bring up last year's team. And in fact, it happened on TNT yesterday, where I think it was halftime. And they were talking about the game in general. And Ernie kicked it to Kenny. And Kenny said, Like, I don't know what this Lakers team is, really. Like, are they the team that won the IST tournament? Are they the team that struggled since? This team historically hasn't played well until later in the year. Last year, they were bad. And then they made a run to the Western Conference Finals. Like, you could tell me any of those things are going to happen. And so I don't know yet. And there's truth in that, Mike. But you're also a product of your habits. You're a product of what you've shown me to be. And so the game against the Suns was sort of a repeat of all of the horror stories that were happening to to this team just like a week and a half ago. And I mentioned this in our text thread that it sort of erased whatever goodwill the team had built up over those two wins, which I thought were both quality wins. Like they beat the Clippers. The Clippers have been playing great. The Lakers beat them. And then the Clippers are back to playing great again. Toronto had been playing really well. And then the Lakers beat them. And then even the next night, they put up a really great effort against the Clippers and have been playing well still. And it's just like, those were good wins. And then the Lakers got their butts kicked. And please do not talk to me about, oh, well, we've just got to do this one thing better. Or here are the bad things that happened again. And here's the contextualization of that again, because that sort of stuff and that sort of talk and, and Darwin's comments about it being a marathon, it sort of shows a lack of urgency. A marathon is 26 miles. I'm guessing if you train for a marathon, you're not actually thinking about winning 26 miles. You're thinking about the next mile that's in front of you. And sometimes I feel like you can zoom out too 
far and lose that sense of purpose as to what you're actually chasing, which is the thing that's right in front of you. And it's starting to both be irksome and worrisome. All right. A lot to unpack here. <laughs> I So first of all, I agreed kind of with the initial point and as an outsider initially, right, as somebody who was did not grow up here and did not was not a part of the Lakers. And I came here, you know, after having worked for a couple of other franchises, um, I was immediately super attracted to how much the Laker fans care and how much that like that's such a big part of this. That's such a big part of the brand uh, and, you know, why it's special to have that level of winning. And you see that in other sports around the world. Um, that's that's unique. Uh, and and it's great. And it, it provides a certain standard to reach. I don't know that last night's game against Phoenix is something that I would apply it to, uh, although there are there are themes that have that have emerged in other losses. But like in this case, the way that I saw it was Phoenix was desperate not to lose four straight games to the Lakers. Uh, Booker and KD and Beal are all, you know, queued up by their organization, by their owner. This is a tight. If you don't win the title, you're a failure. They've they've struggled for much of the season, and they came into that game super focused, super tight. KD came out defending LeBron and putting a ton of energy into that side of the court. There was a quote I think from either Booker or, or Frank Vogel about how KD went up to Booker and told him, "Hey, don't you guys don't don't worry about getting me the ball tonight. Like, I, basically, I'm going to do the little things." And the, so, like, there were a lot of things that the Lakers then didn't have. They didn't have the proper energy to match that. And I didn't expect them to. And is that a problem in the short term? Yes, it is it. But this is the part where I get into this whole rhythms of an NBA season. And you can't always be the team, um, especially when you have guys like LeBron and AD that have won before, that is going to want it more than the other team um, on a given night. And that wasn't going to happen. So you have to have either better talent or, or added talent or you have to have better cohesion or you have to be healthy in this case with no Rui and no Christian Wood. Uh, like there, those other factors have to lift up what is going to be a human nature element of a team that might want it more in a given night. Uh, and that's that's kind of this balance that I'm always trying to figure out covering these games. What is the appropriate amount uh, to have? And it's different from that the way that we started this, Peter, where you started it with like the, oh, it's just one game. It's a marathon because I do. I don't think that's a healthy way to approach it either. So it's it's not a it, it's not a fine line uh, or it is a fine line. And it's uh, I, I just didn't I didn't think that last night's game in particular was was as egregious as, say, the games that we saw last week. But I'm not specifically talking about last night's game. It's more like this concluded a five-game homestand, right? Remember when January was supposed to be the, oh, we get a game every other day. We're at home. All of the factors line up. And in totality, we got blown out three times at home over the course of a five-game homestand. We are 5-11 and 11 over our last 16 games. That is about 20% of the season. And so let's take a break here because, D, what I'm talking about goes beyond just a, a single game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the things that Mike said that stuck out to me isn't all of the things that he said, which were obviously correct around like energy and what you need to have, like cohesion and health, where the motivation comes from on a night to night basis in terms of energy. One of the things you also need are tactics, the organization in order to serve as that other piece of stability, Pete, that's going to prop you up in moments where you don't necessarily have your best energy, where you don't necessarily have the best health. And right now, and it's been like this for a little while, the Lakers aren't putting themselves in the best position to succeed at the starts of games. They are not showing an advanced level of like, tactics or game planning that I think is is like showing that they're better on like schematically than the other team in in order to sort of like sometimes smoke and mirrors your way to a win when you don't have as much talent when you don't have as much cohesion so the Lakers are falling short in multiple areas I go back to arguments almost all of the time when you have a bad team is it process what is your process like in order to try to advantage yourself in disadvantaged situations. And I'm not exactly seeing that the Lakers are putting themselves in the best positions to succeed in the first place. We've talked about their starting lineup, Mike. Their starting lineup's bad. It's bad. It's not winning any of their shifts. Their current starting lineup, the one with Cam Reddish in it. And then even last night when Cam didn't start the second half. Their starters got blown off the floor in the third quarter as well. And so the starters are not winning their minutes. And that's the group that plays the most minutes together. And so if you're not winning those minutes, you are disadvantaging yourself nightly. When you look at this Laker team and to, I feel like we've been having this conversation all season. The games that they have been focused on winning going in. And like, I can just tell once I get to the arena and watch certain guys warm up. Um, in-season tournament, right, at OKC, home against the Clippers. Like when 
that when they are and LeBron is the leader of this, like when they are when they are having it circled on the calendar, um, they have been they have been good in those games. Most of the other games they have not. Uh, and they've won some of them against some poor teams. And when you look at the standings and OK, OK, season in second, Minnesota's in first. That's Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Anthony Edwards, certain level of energy every night, healthy, um, young, getting up and down. Denver, uh, even though they've taken a step back because they won, because it's harder and they're tired, uh, they have Jokic. Okay, he's played every game. Uh, the Clippers have been fully healthy for the most part with George, Kawhi, uh, and James Harden, and they've never won anything. So, like that's that's what I'm saying. LeBron is not. Le- Le- LeBron is averaging 20 points per game in January on 43% from the field and 25% from three. He is not able to bring the defensive level every night. He certainly did against the Clippers, but did he against the Heat or the Grizzlies, the Raptors a little bit, uh, or Phoenix? So. This the Lakers are not one of those teams at the top of the conference who is bringing the same level of energy uh, and effectiveness every night other than essentially Anthony Davis, who didn't have it as much in Phoenix. So that's all like I, I just don't know why there's such a surprise then that uh, that the team is like I think they should be more they should be better than they are in 19 and 20. But it's it, like there has to be some level of they're going to try to get to a playoff series and win four games and lose a couple as opposed to a team that is just driving the conversation um, because they're great, which they're not uh, in year 21 of LeBron and with the rest of the roster not figured out. But the the premise of the point I'm making at the very least is not that there aren't going to be some games like this. Um, I've seen, again, even older superstars on eventual championship teams and what that looks like throughout a regular season and the ebbs and flows of that. And I'm saying that merely writing where we're at off as being that – I don't think is an accurate portrayal of where we are. And I've never seen a team that was eventually got to where they wanted to go in this type of state during the regular season. And the teams that we've beaten thus far in the big games that we talk about, the OKC win, the three times we beat Phoenix, the, um, what was the other one? The in-season tournament. These are all teams Clippers. that we can be, yeah, the, the Clippers. That, that, one's a, that one's a little bit different, but the vast majority of them are teams that you can kind of be just physically bigger than. And it's sort of like the, the dad playing his kid in one-on-one where the kid gets ahead. And then at the end of it, he just bully balls him toward the victory. And, and so putting all that aside, and the, 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 I think there's something that comes before the lineups and the tactics and all of that. Although those things, influence this is D in the post game yesterday, Darvin really, really hammered on the turnovers that we had. And at the time I was like, I'm not trying to hear this. Right. And I go back and I watched the game again this morning and we're really kicking the ball all over the place. And we shot like 50% from the field, right? Like you look at our shooting splits and these are bad turnovers, right? You're watching these. These are the type where like, if you're a high school coach, you're like, what the hell was that? You know, and so I have a lot more empathy for him. Hear, hear me, but there I is a—I've I, mentioned this, and someday I'll, I'll tell the story of I had one year as an assistant in a situation that went really bad in a place where I was just showing up once a week. So I was like there enough, and you know, texting all the time with the head coach, right, and going through all of the drama and whatnot. But by the end of the season, our conversations about like tactics and lineups and things like that were so absurd because it was like, all right, we could have this player standing disinterest, disinterested in a two, three zone. We could have him being disinterested in man to man. We could have him be disinterested in our full court press. There's a certain amount of mental disengagement that if the players are in that spot, and I see this all the time in our games that 
and that goes beyond just a year 21 LeBron type of thing that like the whole thing is out of sync in ways that you don't have to spend your days you know, uh, mulling over the Lakers and, and worrying about the Lakers the way that we do to just turn on your TV and be like, what is that? You know, that it, it like, yes, the tactics and lineups are important and having the wrong ones can lead to this place on a team. Yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is that we're at this place in a way that I feel like is nobody else noticing this or. So when we have coaching conversations, the most important thing a coach needs to do is generate and maintain buy-in. You can be disinterested playing man-to-man. You can be disinterested playing zone. And disinterest is the result of an accumulation of a loss of buy-in. Right. That If I do the thing that you're asking me to do, it's not actually going to work. So what's the point in doing doing that thing? And that's not, all, that's not like a, a conscious thought, right? This is something that seeps in. These guys are all professionals, Mike. They all want to do the job. They all want to be great at their job. I've been at places where um, morale starts to erode. And what that does to you as an employee is tricky. It makes it so that you actually don't want to do your work at the level in which you know that you're capable of doing it or that is always required of you in order to be the best version of yourself as an employee. And it's not a conscious decision. It's almost reflexive the amount of effort you give in response to situations where you're not feeling like doing the thing that you're asked to do is not this voluntary thing. Now, to be fair, so how, how are you seeing that apply right like to right now? So let's talk about Austin Reeves. One of Austin's trademarks to me as a player is his ability to ramp up his effort level and play hard almost all of the time. Like there is a certain amount of exertion that he pushes himself to when he's playing at his best. And when the energy is really flowing and he's on his game, it translates in this positive way. Like, oh, remember when he hit that half-court shot, that buzzer beater against the Warriors, and then he sprinted all the way to the opposite side of the court and he's high-fiving a fan. He even hit a fan in the face and the fan was like so juiced himself, he didn't even notice. He's just like, oh my goodness, like I'm touching Austin Reeves right now. And there's that, there's that accumulation of that. There have been so many possessions in the last 15 games or so, Mike, where I've seen Austin be like, yeah, this guy is running right by me in transition. And like, I'm not I'm not actually going to like make that extra effort to keep up with him. It's it's like, oh, it was another turnover. I don't know what's going on, but he's like a perfect example of me of someone who through his first two years as a Laker. He was as dependable in this way as any other Laker like that I had seen in the last five years or 10 years. Like it was just it, it was a hallmark of what his game was. And this year that has been sapped some for whatever reason, it's just there. And, and so I'm just like, man, like what's going on with some of this stuff? And there are examples of that all over the court. And it's just like, is some of that year 21 energy from LeBron? Sure. But when LeBron does decide to bring it, he does have that. And I'm not so quick, guys, to basically just say, oh, well, on this night, LeBron's not bringing it simply because it's his 21st season. There's all kinds of factors that can contribute to that. And I think this is one of them. I honestly do. Let's take a break here. And when we come back, I want to give one more tangible example uh, uh, to answer your question, Mike, and then kick it back to you.
So the first question of Darwin's postgame yesterday was about the three-point shooting of the opponents, right? That's one of the storylines is that teams have been really hitting shots on us. And in the framing of the question, it was like, is that just part of the scheme to leave guys open was essentially, and that, that was a part that Darwin bristled at, right? It was like, and at the end he was like, no, it's not part of our scheme to leave guys open. But this is some, a topic, an on-court topic that we've talked about a lot. What I see happen in these situations, Mike, is say there's a guy on the other team, say it's Josh Kogi, where it's on the scouting report, hey, we're going to influence their offense toward this guy taking a three. This could be any number of players on different teams, but whatever guy we're kind of cheating off of. And there's a way to do that well, and there's a way to do that in a cutting corner type of way. And I see us cutting the corner on this a lot. So what that means is not do not close out to this guy at all and just let him have a shoot around type of three. It is you are helping first to this other guy, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, that we are more concerned about. And then if the ball gets kicked out to Josh Okoge, yeah, you close out to him. Maybe you don't chase him off the three-point line, but you do need to make him feel pressure. But what I hear in the locker room afterward is like what AD said of like, you know, guy can shoot 10% against us or 10%, but then the numbers are 40% against us. And my argument is part of that is because we don't execute that part of the game plan in a way that requires where you have the appropriate amount of like spirit in doing it. And it becomes a very easy, like, oh, well, he's the guy we're supposed to be cheating off of. But the resulting shot that you're giving him is actually like, uh, he's still an NBA player type of shot. And so that is one of many examples, I think, of just sort of the dispirited and and not engaged type of nature that to me, it's about getting the most out of the talent that you do have, regardless of what that team's ceiling is. And we're nowhere, nowhere close to that. And situations like that are are examples of it. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not arguing with that. That's uh, I think that's been there for most of the season. Mike, what do you think is going in to that, though? Is it just simply like energy and follow the lead of LeBron and like the ebbs and flows of a long season? And this is just what they have to deal with? Because I still go back to this idea of personal accountability with every individual player. And if they always look to LeBron or if they always look to AD in order to be like, you're our leader tonight, like... Against the Suns, for example, LeBron and AD, neither of them necessarily had that same like verve to them, right? And one player who did was Jared Vanderbilt. And you had tweeted about him at halftime, basically saying like, hey, it'd be nice to maybe see a little bit more of him like on the court in the second half because he was playing with that typical Vando energy. And I'm looking for that from more of the players. Like, where is that personal... I'm going to get it after it. And so what do you think is going into the general malaise? Is it just the losing? Is it just like, oh, like who knows, right? It's accumulation of stuff, I guess. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. But I think the – I tr- I laid out earlier what I think the the larger issues are. Um, and that's that's you know sort of, sort of set aside from scheme and some of the, the points that Pete was just talking about with execution. But I think that those things can go hand in hand. And that's part of the frustration that I think you see is in when you – when you hear from AD after the game about, you know, about how opposing shooters are playing well that, but the scheme is still a certain way that they're going to get those shots. And that, that is a disconnect, right? And so that there's been some of that, whether it's been with lineups or whether it's been with scheme and the team has not found something that they can really go to aside from LeBron and AD deciding, and especially LeBron, we're going to win this game. Watch me. 
follow this. And it, when LeBron's playing at that level, it almost doesn't matter what you're running from a scheme perspective. And in terms of winning that game, Mike, and, absolutely. Yes, but that, if we want to win, if we want to get to the the highest levels, there has to be the there has to be enough of a team built around the two stars. You know what I'm saying? To be I agree. To, where you get that, value out of your problem. system and you're right. Yeah. And and that's what's going on, right? Is that there isn't that there isn't the rest of the the part of it to fall to fall back upon. And Darius hinted at or directly talked about some of what Austin slippage is, and you can see that in the net rating. You know, whereas when Austin his first couple of years, that was one of the best. Art. I would come on a broadcast and start the game with, "Look at Austin Reeves' net rating. See, here's why he should be playing more." And and now you know we're not doing it on the flip side um, of where he's being asked to create a lot more and he's being asked to carry a certain load sometimes solo um, offensively d- despite not having the spacing um, where where he can attack in the way that he wants to attack and then he seems to be kind of uh, his his the way that he's dispersing his energy um, is different you know and and that's I haven't talked to him about that yet I, I'm planning on it at some point to try and get what he has to say about it. So there's just a lot of that going on. Um, I, the first thing that I think can help though, and this is why Darius, you mentioned that I tweeted about it, but Vanderbilt is starting to look like Vanderbilt again, physically um, after he wasn't for a while. And I think that starting games with that can, can just provide a certain level of boost and in energy for LeBron and AD. Um, And I like that, I think can help some uh, and, you know, maybe that would impact the scheme as well, um, based on what they were doing more last year um, as opposed to this year. But that's that's above my pay grade, right? That's something that that, that Darvin Ham has yeah. to decide, and can it be Todd? And what what's the way? How can it flow? All that. But I, I do think that these are these are parts of the reasons, aside from just the simple wanting it more and LeBron year twenty one and, and all that, and, and opponents coming in with a certain mindset and, and taking advantage, all that stuff, which I think is valid. I think it all is, uh, but. That they clearly haven't decided exactly how they're going to play and what they're going to do. And I think that the injuries have been cited often, understandably so, but I don't expect that, as I've said before, that's not going to change. There are going to be one or two guys out, uh, it seems like, not just for the Lakers, but for basically every team, uh, barring a couple that have had great health. And so what do you do around that? And not just next man up, how does the scheme a lot for that? Well, and also when we've been bad has not been in places like all the guys that have been out have been coming off of the bench by choice, right? The current starting lineup, the one with Austin, Cam, Prince, LeBron, and AD, has a defensive rating of 125 in 99 minutes. And the net rating is like minus 15 now or minus 13, minus 15, somewhere in that range. It's, I think, the worst in the LeBron and AD era. And so like – the idea that like, oh, all these injuries are, it's like, you suck at the beginning of the game and at the beginning of the third quarters in the lineups where these guys are not intentionally part of it. And so the consistently coming out to bad starts is that's been a theme throughout the year. And so, yeah. you know what I mean? And and like, but we keep doing the same thing <laughs> in terms of every, almost every version of the starting lineup has been three perimeter players plus LeBron and AD. And so I don't, I don't know how long that's got to be bad in tangible ways and like the idea that it's like oh, just part of the ebbs and flows well, of the season it's like no we're on the wrong track and in the one group that wasn't regarded it was literally like let's start every forward we have <laughs> right? right with like LeBron and and believe AD. It or not, those groups were actually good it's funny because everyone was yeah. so mad about that but it's like one is like a plus nine in 19 minutes the other is like a plus 10 in 22 minutes but everyone was so pissed off about it that they never stuck with it and Rui got hurt and all that but yeah 
when I was writing about lineup stuff for three things, I'd ask Mike, like, hey, where can I find all of the different starting lineups that the Lakers used? So I was looking through it and I was just like, oh, look at all these different groups and who's won and who hasn't. There was a starting group that's actually eight and four as a starting lineup. I can't recall who exactly is in it right now, but I know that D'Lo is in that group. That was the D'Lo Reddish, LeBron, Prince, and AD uh, from right after they made the switch from Austin. And they, yeah, they had that. The games were a little bit, schedules a little easier, but yeah. Sure. And I'm sure that there were some in-season tournament games there as well. And so there's a lot of factors. I normally send the stuff that I write for pregame to Mike just to get a second set of eyes on it. And he was reading through my little section on D'Angelo Russell. Going into the Suns game, D'Lo had the best cumulative plus minus on the team. He's a plus 53. Mike replied back to me and said, I didn't realize D'Lo was actually leading the team in this specific area. He's like, I knew he was up there, but I didn't realize that he was at the very top of it. And I said, D'Lo in his own way is like Austin from the previous years in that his individual numbers don't always reflect the fact that the lineups that he's playing in just seem to work. These are the types of things that they need to round the square a little bit, Pete. Like there needs to be a synergy between what the lineup data is telling us, who plays, at what part of the games do they play, and what are the groups actually doing? And you've been looking at lineup data like all season. You've been tracking like big lineups versus small lineups and like the pivotal nature of who starts or who plays minutes at small forward, right? Is it LeBron next to like... Rui and AD or next to Rui or uh, Rui and Wood or Wood and AD or even AD and Hayes or is it someone smaller than LeBron right and so, like Prince or Cam in some of these smaller groups and the same these same sorts of trends that happen there also happen with like oh is D'Lo in the game or is he not is D'Lo playing with Austin and what do those groups look like in terms of who's flanking them and what makes those groups successful versus you plop this guy in instead and now it looks different and we're halfway through the marathon the marathon now it's mile 13 if you're going to do anything with it in the context of the marathon we're no longer referring to, referring to this as a marathon it's now a half marathon the Lakers are about to play game 40 in their next game. If they're going to find their way, it's like some of the stuff that they've seen to this point has to influence the decisions moving forward or else they are going to be doing what Steph said, Mike, which is like, uh, it's like insanity to keep doing the same thing and expect different results. Well, you also just described the difference between, you know, essentially doing cardio uh, or even lifting and playing sports. I, when, because I'll do the same thing when I'm lifting weights. All right, I've got 10 reps left at, at this weight. Um, and now, okay, now I've only got X left or, or running. But in basketball, it's like, oh, let, let me play. Who's on my team? Like, let me let me kick this guy's ass. Let, like, let's let's get this running. And, and so there's also got to be the joy. Um, and that's that part has not been as evident. And maybe that's reflective of kind of how Pete started this. Yes. That, the, the joy of them playing and finding and enjoying like playing together and all being in that, that part has not been there as much. Uh, it's more been like when they've won games and played well, it's been kind of the business approach and, and kind of beating, beating you up as you suggested sometimes inside. Um, so that, that element uh, has not permeated, has not permeated through the team as much this year, I would say. 
And that's so important. It's such a big part of building that cohesion and that continuity that we were uh, excited about before the season. So yeah, I just, I feel like we're off track and I I hope that there are some, uh, yeah, I hope there are some course corrections. Everybody have a good weekend. We got game number 40 on Saturday against at Utah, a Utah team that's playing very well, number one in the league in offensive rebounding. They have a pretty interesting philosophy toward that. Um, and so hopefully we get a win there. I think we need one. Um, and yeah, rough game against Phoenix. We did not talk really any any about that in this, but uh, we will get back to it on Monday. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. With a little tap to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.